he's having this experience of meeting other single people. And I think it's really important to just drive home the fact that this movie was operating under a different set of rules than we do in in our version of humanity. There was this really sort of in-your-face brutality throughout um, that I found very confrontational. Sounds fun, right? A little confrontational brutality in an alternate humanity, such as the subject matter of the movie we are reviewing today on Landline Podcast. The movie's called The Lobster. Anna and Alex McKay doing a review. Stories of riding a bicycle to a theater, the climate control, the lack of beer, European movies. Colin Farrell, Rachel Wise, old people and their behavior in public spaces, hashtag entitlement, and whether or not you should wait for this movie on Netflix. Check out other episodes of the show on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on talkforaliving.com. Thanks for stopping by. The theme music by Pitchfork Revolution from Bend, Oregon. New episodes all summer long, Mondays and Thursdays at 10 a.m. See if we can hold to that. 50th show coming up. Should be a fun, extravagant podcast. Build the brand. Spread the word. Mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Tell a friend. Okay, enjoy the show. So, episode two of the movie Annex with me, Alex McKay. And me, Alex McKay's wife, Anna. We went and saw The Lobster, directed by somebody from Greece, and starring Colin Farrell, Rachel Wise, John C. Riley is first build, but not really a star, and then a bunch of Europe talented European actors that I've never heard of. I gotta disagree already. John C. Riley, while his role is brief is quite powerful um also in this movie is that guy ben whitesell or something but um, i had the great pleasure of seeing him in the crucible on broadway about a month ago so it was cool to see him on the on the silver screen as well your ghost lanthimos is the um director are we sure that's greek that has a vaguely scandinavian vibe I think it might actually be Chinese. Well, judging by this photo pulled up on IMDb, I'm going to have to say definitely Greek Scandinavian. Definitely handsome. Um, Okay, so we saw The Lobster. We went to the movie theater in Waltham, Massachusetts, the the embassy landmark to be specific. It's the downtown theater on Moody Street, Waltham, the former watch capital of the world prior to becoming a second tier Boston suburb. Um, And we biked there. And I'd like to start off the podcast to talk about biking while using Google Maps. 
I think that it can be a cause of major concern, especially for a young couple who tends to argue over a GPS device because it gives you a specific route that is using, I guess, bike lanes or whatever data that Google's uh, gotten about bicycling in the right way. But you end up taking a very circuitous route when, to me, the whole excitement and value of taking a bike over another mode of transportation is that you can go as close to the crow fly path as possible so we had a little incident on the way there um yeah that's true and honestly the thing that's happening with my experience moving around our neighborhood and the surrounding cities is that my typically sterling sense of direction is completely fucked by the charles river i'm not quite sure what's going on but i i feel like that game where you put a blindfold on and you they you chug a beer and you like spin around a t-ball and then they're like okay run run in a straight line and i'm like wait where am i every time i get on my bike so um the google maps fiasco is definitely compounded by my own frustrations that didn't know where the fuck I was going and it was just like a two minute bike ride away so all right sorry sorry I got upset but you handled it okay I think ultimately the whole excitement of riding a bike is also like I'm going to detach from the you know modern world of technology and phones and the car radio and all that and I always and even in this case night lights we were driving biking through um some very very dark places and um but we were getting to that philistine experience that you're um sort of romanticizing through that as well so every time i pull out a phone on a bike to check if i'm going in the right direction it feels like i've completely blown it the whole experience and i should just might as well have driven but well it's a good thing you brought your own bike lock um to lock your bike up after uh arriving at the theater oh wait wait you might have forgotten it didn't you maybe this time we almost had a situation where we had to bike home from the movie after fighting about the map because we couldn't lock both bikes up but anyways we digress on that topic so why did we go to the movies that's a reoccurring theme of the annex movie podcast why did we go it was a hot night it was in the high 80s we were in the process of getting Anna settled in New York City where she's working for the summer and where we're podcasting from now. We were wanted to do something that wasn't necessarily food or drink related, and we just wanted to go out and have a fun time. It was a nice Saturday night movie date. The beauty of going to the movies on Saturday night to me is like you're basically surrendering to the world. You're like, I'm not going to do anything cool. I'm not going to go to a cool restaurant. I'm not going to go find a bunch of cool people or run into a bunch of friends or whatever it is. I'm not even going to try. I'm literally going to go sit down, be a slouch. And by the end of it, I'll be tired enough that I can just go home and I will have survived a weekend Saturday night where I didn't do anything super cool and feel a bunch of emotions associated with it. Yeah, and shout out to my new colleague, Nicole Shaw, for suggesting The Lobster. Uh, his experience with seeing the movie uh, at some art house in, in Brooklyn the week before we went was um, enticing, and his description of it really made me want to see it. So uh, when it came time to select the film we were going to see together, there wasn't much of a conversation. We were headed to The Lobster. So on that note, we bike, we get lost, we fight about Google Maps, we lock the bikes up after a near disaster. We get into the 
uh, theater. The tickets are 11 bucks, which seems reasonable. Interesting theater counter there where they had like a big oversized leather office chair behind a low um, desk type situation. And the girl's selling you tickets without standing up, which felt a little bit lazy to me. I was hoping there would be a cold alcoholic beverage on tap. There was not. That is the second theater we've been to where that's happened to me it's kind of like it's 2016 you're a movie theater you're struggling i don't care if you're independent sell beer good profit margin you can jack the price up and the second somebody has one alcoholic drink there you're gonna want another so there's another 20 bucks in every couple going to the movies out of that anyways anna goes to the popcorn line she wants some popcorn sees that it's like 750 decides in this time of the great McKay depression that she's going to save the seven bucks. We go into the theater and we're ready to make friends again after the bike and the, and the phone. And it's a little bit hot in there, but whatever. It reminded me of a rather romantic summer I spent in the South of France in Nice, where often I would, when fatigued by long days on the plage find my way down to the local cineplex where they would show american films uh with french subtitles and um the most notable environmental vibe aside from the beautiful crushed velvet seats was the complete lack of air conditioning so there was this very intimate womb-like feeling every time I was watching Marie Antoinette or Zodiac which were two of the films out that summer so we settle in and it's hot in there maybe it's just that the theater isn't doing a good job with the AC or managing it I don't know people are waving their pieces of paper back and forth like a fan it's kind of fun I mean we did try to escape the heat by going to the movies but I wasn't really in a huge state of anger about the situation until a young gentleman who worked for the movie came in either during the trailers trailers, we were watching the trailers they paused a trailer right in the middle which was quite awkward wasn't there an amazing freeze frame it's that movie coming out with daenerys targaryen where she plays like the bumpkin who falls in love with a rich quadriplegic and uh yeah epic epic freeze frame of her mid snort um like cleavage out him in the wheelchair it's like a looks like a weird bizarro recreation or recreation of like christopher reeve if he got in a time machine sorry i mean it was like imagine no fault in our stars oh excuse me how rude oh it's a podcast guest saul calling interrupting the podcast um anyways well, on another podcast, we'll dissect why they're making movies about rich people in wheelchairs falling in love, but then also maybe killing themselves. But anyways, they pause the trailer and this young, you know, 19 year old movie personnel comes in. We all know what that is. Um, not in a bad way. And then announces that the AC is broken and announces that they're willing to offer up um refunds or do anything else that he's so sorry but it, it, it made up this super awkward thing of like well we're all here and we're all dealing with it and we actually it didn't bother us until just now when you told us it was 100 percent broken now we're all thinking about how you guys are hapless and how this theater's run down and how it's going to be so hot for two and a half hours and how long is this movie and are one of these 55 
65-year-old people are going to drop dead because of the heat. Like, what's going on? Yeah, I, I'd say that it was at that moment we realized who the folks sitting around us, just exactly what we were dealing with in terms of um, movie-going compatriots because, I don't know, what word would you pick? Uh, kerfuffle? Uproar? There was certainly uh, dissent among the ranks as soon as they realized that... The AC was broken. Here's what a 67-year-old does when somebody comes in and says the AC is broken. The guy announces it, and then the wife turns to the husband and says, the AC is broken. It's like, no shit. We all just heard him say that. You don't need to say, like, he just said the AC was broken. Like, what are you going to do about it? Instead of just sitting there and talking about it and bordering on complaining about it, what is your next action step? You're either deciding to stay, you're deciding to collect the refund, you're deciding to try to get a free soda and a bag of popcorn, which I did halfway through the movie, or something. But just repeating how the situation is fucked seems very much like you're going to vote for Hillary Clinton in six months to me. All right, so finally the opening credits start rolling. Um, and I've got to say, what sold me on going to see this movie was my friend Nicole saying, it just stuck with me. Um, and from the get-go, from that opening scene, I could tell that this was going to be a singular experience unlike any film I had seen in the in the recent past. Um I'm going to let Alex give a little overview of the strange world we entered when when the lobster began. Well, this woman pulls up to like what looks like an out west scene like Wyoming or, you know, parts of Oregon or Idaho. And there's a bunch of donkeys and they're uh, kind of grazing, just doing their thing. And you just see her pull up in what looks like a 70s or 80s, like large American sedan. And she gets out. And walks up to one of the donkeys and just shoots them in the head. And I immediately, I mean, we we knew from reading the, uh, and I kind of wish we hadn't read the description. I think there's something to be said for not knowing anything about a movie before you go in. But we knew that it was a movie about people turning into animals. So obviously we got that she was like shooting somebody who had been a human at one point. But I thought it was hilarious and I started laughing. Before we go too deep into the movie, though, honey, I do want to say this. There is something that's been happening in Boston when we go to the movies, which is there are two options. We can go to like a super modern, like serve food at your seat, alcohol, lay back, buy a head. They've turned like a 200 seat theater into like a 30 seat theater and they're getting like $35 a head at the end of it instead of $17 a head. You know, the modern movie theater, and that's full of all, like, 25-year-old and younger people. Or we go to these, like, vaguely old-fashioned art house movie theaters that are kind of just rundown theaters from the 80s with small screens, and everyone is over 60. And it's sort of annoying to me. I don't want to be in a room of a bunch of people who are my parents' age feeling what they're feeling during the movie. Like, there was a line in this movie where someone said, you can fuck me in the ass, and I, like, was squirming. I don't want to watch that. I would like there to be a a diversity of age in my movie theater if we're going to be discussing some, you know, cultural issues 
while we interact with the film. And so I started laughing at this point to tie it back to the beginning because I thought it was hilarious and nobody else laughs. And it's like, I'm not mad that none of them thought it was funny, but the best way to have some people think it's funny is if you have a lot of different people in the theater and a bunch of like suburban Bostonians who are 65 plus and who have kids who are finally graduated from college, they don't have a diversity of sense of humor. I couldn't agree more. And there's also a choose your own adventure of annoying theater goers. There are the young people on their cell phones. And then there are the old people who forget that they're not sitting on their pottery barn couch and just sort of obnoxiously converse through major dips and dives of the plot um proceeding and i just find that to be incredibly annoying having to hear we'll get into it a little more but just that not even whispering like turning to their husband and being like i think he's gonna kill him well the there was this one part where somebody's like i don't know hands get tied behind their back or something like that somebody is compromised physically and he like is trying to open something or gets oh it's Colin Farrell gets his hand one hand uh, handcuffed behind his back for the first night at the hotel. I think we gotta get into plot. And he tries to take his pants off, and he's like struggling with it, and it's supposed to be this sort of like physical comedy slash irony. And this guy in front of us goes, "Sir, it was surreal. It was just like a really odd moment that is supposed to tickle your funny bone and to." to get you to start laughing but as alex is about to say well he couldn't get it out he couldn't get out of his situation and this older gentleman in front of us goes not today like out loud in the movie theater and it's like inappropriate buddy inappropriate if you can't get together before you get out of the car in the parking garage and say okay i'm going into a public place where i'm choosing to watch a movie with a bunch of other people and the etiquette for this theater is to be as quiet as possible save for crunching some candy wrappers chomping some popcorn and possibly getting up for the bathroom annoyingly then really just stay at home and watch netflix but if you're gonna go out into the world recognize that like not everyone is your demo and is it like needs to have everything repeated twice at the dinner table like some people like heard what he said the first time and don't need to turn to their partner and ask what it said maybe they should actually have movie i know that this is probably what matinees are technically but where it's just like 65 it's like adult swim at the community pool you have 65 plus only and everyone can just say what in the middle of it and nobody's allowed to get mad anyways let's go back to the plot so do you want to describe in general what the movie's about now we know just to tell you this podcast is spoiler alerts only so uh, get ready to get the, the entire story of the lobster told to you, and then you don't have to go to the movies. I would definitely, this is one where I would say, um, go check it out. Um, so if you, you do want to go see the lobster, pause, come back in two and a half hours when you're home and have had your own exciting experiences at the equivalent of the landmark embassy cinema and uh, proceed um, okay, so The Lobster is this surreal vision of an alternate universe where humans are coupled up. Um, 
And if for some reason your partner dies or the two of you decide to separate, the singles are sent to this luxury hotel where they have 48 days to find a mate. And if for some reason they can't connect with somebody by the end of those 48 days and get married, they are turned into the animal of their choosing. So our protagonist, um, his name was maybe James or John, uh, but played by Colin Farrell, selects the lobster. And for reasons that even I can appreciate, the lobster is his choice because they live upwards of 100 years if unmolested, and they never lose their sex drive. Um, and so the the intake interview um, has has the hotelier congratulating him on his excellent choice of creature. Well said. I realize as you were going over that, I don't really even want to go over the plot because it's just like it's exhausting. I, I, I didn't really like this movie. I disagree with you about a lot of things. I don't think people should go out and see it in the theater. I think they should decidedly wait until it's at Netflix. And I was super surprised to hear that it's getting a wide release this upcoming weekend after being at small theaters like the one we went to. It's it's one of those movies to me that's super well done and impressive, but it's very uncomfortable to watch. And for me, being in the theater for an uncomfortable movie is the worst. I'd rather be on the couch. But anyways, he goes to the hotel He's having this experience of meeting other single people, and I think it's really important to just drive home the fact that this movie was operating under a different set of rules than we do in in our version of humanity. There was this really sort of in-your-face brutality throughout um, that I found very confrontational yeah there was some absurdist violence so in addition to wanting to get turned into a lobster colin farrell brings his brother who has been turned into a dog and so he comes with him to the hotel um but the other thing is they get turned into an animal but they don't they're not, they don't have human consciousness anymore as far as we can tell it's, i don't think i don't think that's established well but what about all those animals in the in the forest anyways he he as time goes on th- you are get you get it becomes more and more apparent that you have to find a mate and as the pressure starts to mount you all the characters start doing crazy things like that aforementioned time when this woman said you can fuck me in the ass was when this older sort of you know uh decidedly uglier person than Colin Farrell is trying to get him to come to her room and she's saying things like I love giving fellatio and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because she's petrified of um, getting kicked off the island, so to speak, getting turned into an animal. And she's uh, only a week away. And she ends up actually just killing herself by jumping off the third floor of the hotel. But she also tells him if she doesn't find someone she's going to, and then she does it. And then you watch her like after like crushing her skull writhing in pain on the cement um and that's the kind of stuff i was starting to laugh at but nobody else in the theater thought was funny um right so that was the an example of this like confrontation of brutality and it was extremely painful to see in your fellow human but there 
it extended to animals as well. And then it was like this odd blurring of consciousness where you started to realize that in this world, every animal could have been a human before it was an animal. So violence towards humans, violence towards animals, while it was obviously intended to be ironic, it was also, um, you know, the crowd had a hard time seeing why that was hilarious and instead focused on their their more like pita roots of like oh that poor fish out of water literally which is again annoying to me because if you're going to a movie to escape your reality and you can't embrace the alternate reality you're watching then you're kind of defeating the purpose of escaping in the first place but so another element of the whole hotel scene so you go to the hotel and they all line them up at single person tables and there are all these weird events like dances and activities and there's this this husband and wife who are in charge of the whole whole hotel and they are the ones who are kind of the master of ceremonies um, and there are some interesting scenes with them as well. The woman who played the the wife was exceptionally good, I thought. Um, but one of the other elements of being there is you go hunting in the forest for singles who have escaped and turned into this sort of guerrilla band of forest-dwelling singles people. And at first, I didn't think that they would feature in at all. And this is a testament to the filmmaking that I did like. They ended up being sort of the whole feature of the second and third acts, this band of gorillas, because Colin Farrell joins them. But they all the people at the hotel go out on like a glorified school bus for the hunt. And they have these tranquilizer darts and these rifles, and they hunt down these single people who are all dressed uniformly in green ponchos because they live in this like rainy Scottish forest. Or it's not really discussed where it is, but it's clearly some sort of Scandinavian or Anglo city. Um, And so a major feature of that first third of the movie is this badass lady who is completely brutal and an incredible hunter, and she sets the record. Each person you capture gets you another day at the hotel. So if you if you shoot like 13 of these singles and get them back, then you get 13 more days at the hotel. Colin Farrell ends up trying to link himself to this woman and say that they're a match by lying about him liking her. And she, in one of those crazy, brutal, comedic moments, brutally murders his dog on the bathroom floor, the dog being the brother, and then they show the aftermath of it. But I thought that scene was hilarious because of the really great acting and really great writing and the incredible delivery. Um, I guess I did like this movie a little bit. Um, And nobody, everyone in the theater was like, horrified by that scene and that to me was the funniest part and I think and then I'll let you go honey but uh, I think in a true European style it's like they're the ones who have seen all the wars they're the ones who have seen the Holocaust they're the ones who understand that leaders can be incredibly awful they're the ones who have seen dystopias like before their very eyes and I think this is a little bit of like dark comedy that they're trying to bring that this could actually be a reality that's not too far away if some things that couldn't metaphysically exist did and so i think i would hope that a that a theater in like copenhagen would be laughing at this well in debriefing with my buddy nickel i i commented that i had felt a little oppressed by the serious vibes of the other folks watching the movie with us and he was like Oh, man, like in the theater I went to, people were roaring in laughter. And that was one of the only ways that I could get through 
the confrontation within myself of oh like Jesus that dog's been kicked to death and we're really panning to it for quite an uncomfortable amount of time Um, but it is in that extended time that you start to just laugh because you're like holy shit this is so weird Um, so I guess just to continue the arc a little bit the woman who kicks uh, Colin Farrell's brother to death um, incites a, a horrible vengeance within him and he shoots her or someone shoots her with a tranquilizer dart and, and he disposes of her um, in the animal transformation center and it's never disclosed what kind of animal he transforms her into but then that's his moment to escape and he runs into the forest where he links up with these guerrilla fighters and the only rule of being part of this band of warriors um, or survivors is you're not allowed to express any romantic feelings towards any other gorillas um, which becomes a problem pretty quickly because the enticing and strange Rachel Wise is there to in, to sort of bring him into her orbit gorillas like g-u-e obviously well i mean it's confusing because it's a they could have all become gorillas somehow like if you're stoned or driving your car right now listening to our podcast yeah yeah pull over if you're stoned and call your mom um and tell her you're sorry but um uh it could have gotten confusing okay so let's 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 go away from the arc a little bit because we like to uh, promise and, and under deliver. Um, so maybe we won't go through the end of the movie, but let's talk a little bit about, um, Rachel wise. I think the, f- her, f- my favorite performance of hers is the constant gardener. Is that true? What else should I know her from? I mean, I can look it up, but she's very well known in sort of, I feel like European art movies, but also, I don't know. Colin Farrell is great. And he, to me, my favorite uh, performance of his is in Bruges, which is a movie you really turned me on to. Um, Cheeky, funny. But in this movie, he gains a bunch of weight. He grows a mustache. And he's not sexy at all. He's pathetic. He's weird. He has a lot of weird stuff going on with his personality. He lives in a weird world, obviously. Um, I thought he did an incredible job. And so did she. They both have really weird ways of speaking and delivering information and Colin Farrell uh is sort of he says things everyone seems to be like afraid that somebody's watching there are these police that go around checking that you're married like they at one there are a couple scenes where they go into the city from the woods all the gorillas in order to like make sure that either certain things are going on that are going to help their plan to overthrow the hotel or that people's parents are being checked in with and they lie and say that they're together with each other. But anyways, there are these like mall cops who make sure that if you're not, if you're standing by yourself, they come up to you and they ask for your paperwork and they uh, ask where your mate is because it's illegal to be by yourself. Something we should definitely hammer home. I'm sorry you forgot Rachel Wise's most famous performance, and that was The Mummy. I never saw it. <laughs> it's such a good movie. Um, and Colin Farrell is awesome. I've always really enjoyed him. I think he's a great action star. Um, 
phone booth. Yeah, yeah, phone booth. And there was this great movie where he was uh, like an FBI guy. I'm sort of eyeing IMDb out of the corner of my eye. But he was also on Bally Kiss Angel, which for all my uh, Masterpiece Theater homies out there, can I get a what what? Oh, oddly quiet. Um, Anyway, so... They both deliver uh, an incredible performance, and their chemistry is super cool, especially given the alternate universe that they're operating in. Let's just say romance doesn't necessarily come off in that uh, the notebook way um, in the world of the lobster. Um, so the acting was incredible. John C. Riley is insane as always; always just nails it, and. Um, the supporting cast, as mentioned before, was really Im- impressive. And I think ultimately I was just super pleased with this movie because I was thrown into a world that was completely disorienting. Everything about the movie, the cinematography, the dialogue, the acting, the premise did whatever it could to keep you disoriented and was it was also tonally on point that this movie felt long to me um i think the runtime was two hours though but it it was a completely engrossing world and i think being able to go there without giant like desolation of smog style cgi and like you know, war of the world's monsters running around. It, it, it's a rarity and it's something to be admired in cinema. Yeah, they did a really good job, but it was 35 minutes too long. And um, I it was just one of those things where, yes, you can make an incredible piece of art that is constantly making people like being like the viewer, the the person who's interacting with your art, be in a bind, be in an uncomfortable place. It's like a classic formula of just when you think something is solved, another problem is going to come your way. And uh, I think that that was the odyssey of this movie that, um, you know, Colin Farrell escapes the uh, hotel scene and then has a girl that he likes, but they're not allowed to like have physical contact, but then he finds a way around that but then they get caught and then the person who has caught them doesn't tell them explicitly that she's caught them so she can torture them. And there's never a resolution. There's a really crazy twist in the last 20 minutes. And so it never ends up being good. It's like nobody ever, I would even argue that in the last shot, which opens up the possibility that two different things, it's okay. New York city folks, I would even argue that the last shot doesn't open up the possibility of anything good happening no matter. It's one of those things where you don't know whether it goes one way or the other in the final shot. But both of the options are terrible, if you ask me. Um, so I will say this. I want to say a couple of things. One, I, when the credits started after that whole situation of the air conditioning, the old people, and et cetera, et cetera, I was like, yes, I'm watching a European film. I should watch more European films. There's something that's... 
I don't know whether it makes me think about the nostalgia of like sitting in a film class in college and realizing that the only thing you had to do is like watch a film, even in Italian class, we would watch Italian films and it's cool. It's like, it's so much less Hollywood and therefore they have the opportunity to do so much more with the hour and 45 minutes of the time. Then though, in like two thirds of the way in, I was like, fuck, it's a European film. So I'm never going to get any of this resolution that I'm used to having. I'm never going to get any of the like happiness I can glean from a love story actually working out. I still probably have another 35 minutes to go through this. Coming fresh from the heartland of existentialism. Yeah. And like I can't count on anything going the way I expected to. And therefore they've got me like I am theirs unless I get up from this theater and leave. Um, but I will say going back to something that Anna touched on, I think it's a really, really interesting commentary on the human animal relationship that exists because this whole idea of people turning into animals, there's the whole element of choosing an animal they want to be. But then for all the gorilla people in the woods, they're actually killing animals to eat. But those animals that they're eating are clearly probably people that have been turned into animals and then were set free in the woods right next to the hotel. So there's kind of an element of cannibalism going on. And then there really isn't any mention of like being nicer to animals because you could become one. So it's not like all the people in the woods have become vegan. And then the other element is that like basically a human life is so important um, rather than saying something to the effect of it, it might just be better to be an animal, although maybe they don't argue that specifically. I don't know. There's a lot going on that makes you think about how humans treat animals and how we anthropomorphize them. Can never do that word right. Um, but then it leave it kind of illustrates too how naive we are to changing our behavior even when we see something that could possibly affect us, like turning into a dog, should we mistreat dogs? Like the dog isn't allowed out of the hotel. Uh, Colin Farrell's brother, Bob, who's been turned into a dog, isn't allowed to walk around on the grounds of the hotel. That's one of the rules. So it's just this interesting situation of human-animal contact that everyone's going to have to decide for themselves what it actually means. Yeah, and to keep pounding home this concept of the alternate universe we were um, occupying for those painfully long 126 minutes or whatever the runtime was the the love love was very different in it wasn't about love it was about finding your other half and so to partner up you had to have a similar characteristic to your partner um two of the main characters got uh, unanticipated nosebleeds like that was their their commonality and our our main characters um uh, were nearsighted so they had that going for them and i found that that parallel to the animal world where you're obviously picking a creature of your same species to mate with, um, it 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 was striking. Um, the the sense of co- like uh, having a confidant, having someone you can trust, was completely out the door uh, with love for 
the majority of the characters in this movie. It was all about meeting these certain genetic commonalities. And the morality of the movie was really interesting. Um, It seemed like lying wasn't really that big of a deal. And having a confidant wasn't very important. And um, I found that that was really interesting and a further correlation between human and animal connection. Um, yeah. And we're missing like a huge piece and we're not the slate culture gab fest. So we decided to spend 25 minutes at the beginning of a 45 minute podcast talking about air conditioning being broken rather than actually do a, it's what the people want. Yeah. Philosophical analysis. But, and again, another little disclaimer, this movie is a perfect essay topic for some academic person to talk about because there are all these issues that are underlying that we haven't even discussed but one of them is this idea that people who aren't married are left to made or are made to left feel uh shoot or are left to feel left out is that is that the proper structure of that sentence basically that if you're not married they're made to feel left out they're made to feel left out and so there's this whole commentary on our culture celebrating people who pair off and have kids and there's even this hilarious thing where if you make it out of the hotel you go to the yacht and then you have two weeks on a yacht and if you start getting in fights then they give you kids because that'll help you get through your fights this is the kind of stuff i wish we had had a funny audience for i really think that that's an interesting point of view that if we had had a uh, an audience that knew how to laugh this would have been different but um so there's all this commentary on on contemporary cultural issues about are you a good person? Are you missing out if you don't get married? Are you if you turn 40 and you haven't found a mate? Are you, you know, uh, kicked out of regular society in a way? Um, are people talking about you like you're a failure behind your back? And so I think that there's elements of that. I would say as as a criticism, all of these different issues, ethical, moral, philosophical issues are are brought up but are never really like solved in any way. And that's the one thing I would say about American movies is they a lot of times will finish with a point of view that you can disagree with but at least says like you know, you should be more uh nice to your family while you're alive because you'll miss them when they're gone or whatever. This movie doesn't. It just sets out it's like Look, we like took a lot of classes in college and like did acid once or twice. And now we've come up with all this interesting stuff to put on screen. But we're not going to give you an answer to any of it. So that was my one sort of criticism about bringing up all these issues. Having said that, it's a good thing to talk about afterwards. Yeah. And I guess we can say that we encourage you to go see it and see the same. um, See if you, you come up with things to talk about afterwards, too. (laughs) um so that's it the lobster um we're glad we went because it was something to podcast about uh air conditioners and movie theaters are nice in the summer um but it's not that bad and it feels a little bit european when there isn't any uh movie theaters should serve beer colin farrell is a i would say well respected and and you think he's underrated I i think he's deserving of all the praise he gets um and if you can watch this on demand, maybe you should. Um, but don't do it if you're depressed. Um, and what else? What are some other takeaways? I'll let you have the last word before I do our little outro. I think my last word 
is go to the movies with a loved one. It It's a fun way to spend the day, and you're going to end up with fodder for at least a couple of the million conversations you're going to have for the rest of your life. That's true. That's a nice uh, dovetail to the subject matter of the film. I, I think you were thinking about that. Um, all right, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, call the landline. Leave a message. 617-744-1895. Find other episodes on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash landline podcast or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. It's under landline podcast. Check out talkforaliving.com where I need to post the last podcast. You just reminded me. Um, and new episodes Mondays and Thursdays all summer long should be up by 10 a.m. Eastern. Uh, if you want to be a guest, if you have someone I should talk to, um, if you have harvested the first rhubarb of the season like I did yesterday for a 4th of July raz- uh, rhubarb, not raspberry, just rhubarb compote, um, let's talk about it. Eat local food. Smoke local weed. <laughs> and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Good luck with sports radio and adam carolla or whatever uh weird this american life you haven't listened to bye adios